When I was a little girl, there were real prices and mom prices. Real prices got you shiny, sparkly things that lasted three weeks, and mom prices got you brown things that lasted forever. Did you notice they were 50% off? Oh, yes, well, of course. But when I looked into shop windows, I saw another world. A dreamy world full of perfect things. A world where grown-up girls got what they wanted. They were beautiful. Like fairies or princesses. They didn't even need any money. They had magic cards. I wanted one. Little did I know, I would end up with 12. Rebecca Bloomwood. Occupation, journalist. Jacket, Visa. Dress, Amex. Belt, MasterCard. It's vintage, and I got 1% cash back. Bag, Gucci. And worth every penny. Moving to New York. I met guys, and that kind of put things in perspective. Because you know that thing when you see someone cute and he smiles, and your heart kind of goes like warm butter sliding down hot toast? Well, that's what it's like when I see a store. Only it's better. You see, a man will never love you or treat you as well as a store. If a man doesn't fit, you can't exchange him seven days later for a gorgeous cashmere sweater. And a store always smells good. A store can awaken a lust for things you never even knew you needed. And when your fingers grasp those shiny new bags... Oh, yes! Oh, yes! Oh, no! You didn't think that we're going to watch the whole movie now, did you? <laughs> Today's sermon uh, is entitled, Hashtag Addiction Me Too. Now, there are many things we like in life that are not bad or destructive in of itself. Take, for example, shopping. So shopping in of itself is not wrong. It's not bad. Agree, ladies? Shopping is a common way by which we acquire clothes, personal items, and gifts. But when does shopping become a problem? It becomes a problem when it changes our behavior, when it brings an experience that makes us crave for more shopping, when satisfying such craving earns an undesirable consequence. And when even after reaping the undesirable consequence, we are not deterred to go back to gratify the same craving, then it becomes a problem. So shopping, the activity that is not bad and destructive in of itself, becomes a problem. Another example, take for instance, wine. Wine. So yesterday, the Men's Fellowship uh, met together to uh, sous vide uh, meat and fish. 
And the passage that we look at was Psalm 104. Psalm 104, where the psalmists bless the Lord for, blesses the Lord for causing the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Psalm 104, verses 14 to 15. So there you go. Food, bread, oil, and wine are God's blessings to us. And yet, food and drink can become a problem. When drinking alcohol changes our behavior, when it brings an experience that leads us to crave for more wine, when satisfying the craving brings about unpleasant repercussions, and when despite an unpleasant outcome, it does not put a stop to going back to get more wine and satisfy the craving. And so wine then, the substance which the Lord blesses us with, becomes a problem. So craving that is irresistible, craving that calls for satisfaction, that leads to bad consequences, one might have expected reform, but no, despite a terrible outcome, he goes back, she goes back for more. That's why Rebecca Bloomwood says, oh no, I spent $900, but that doesn't stop her. She would return for that irresistible experience. And what is that experience? Well, Rebecca in the movie would say, when I shop, the world gets better. The world is better. And then when it's not anymore, I have to shop again. Have you had that world gets better and then not anymore experience? It's not confined to shopping, my friends. All you need to do is just substitute the word shopping, the verb shop, for another. Every time I blank, you fill in the blanks, the world gets better, the world is better, and then when it's not anymore, I have to blank again. It's a brilliant confession of the addicted, and I find it to be funny if you put shopping on the blank. But for other answers, it can be not funny at all when it is seen from the repercussions that it has caused. So why has South Korea recently added gaming addiction to its list of diseases? Well, because there have been cases of negligent parents. So in South Korea, it's parents. Negligent parents starving infants to death while playing online games at the internet cafe. Have you read that? One notorious case was a couple who left their three-month baby to starve to death while they played a video game in bringing up a virtual child. See the irony there? They were focused on bringing up a virtual child over the internet game while starving to death a real child. The world gets better when I blank, and then it's not anymore, and I have to blank again. Craving, satisfaction, loss of satisfaction, craving. That describes us 
doesn't it? That's why I said, hashtag, addiction, me too. You see, addiction is defined as bound or devoted to someone. So I did a search. The word addicted is actually derived from the Latin word adiseri, which means assigned to or devote to, to someone. So there is a master and there is a slave in addiction. And you know what? We are always in constant search for spiritual allegiances, as one counselor puts it. We are voluntary slaves looking, always looking, for masters to enslave us. We are, in other words, worshipers. We are worshipers. And the question is, who are we worshiping? What are we devoted to? Who are we devoted to? Whom do we assign ourselves to? Well, friends, God's Word tells us that we are sinners. So Romans 3.23 tells us that all we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is in our nature to sin. It is who we are. And so as sinners, our inclination, our preference is to always give ourselves over to our desires. We choose, in other words, to be enslaved. We give ourselves over to our desires. We choose to be enslaved by our desires. But yet, the slavery that we choose to get into is a rarely a one-time plunge into enslavement. Rather, it is a gradual descent into bondage. Somebody describes it nicely. It is a slow-developing courtship. So we read uh, Proverbs 5 this morning, and uh, when the writer exhorts his son and us to choose wisdom and to shun folly, he applies what he means uh, while at the same time using the imagery of seduction and adultery to bring home the point, to pound home his point that the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. He continues, her feet go down to death her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, and her paths are crooked. And the writer continues, and he warns his listeners, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. So you find that in Proverbs 5, verses 1 to 14. So friends, according to the Proverbs writer, adultery doesn't happen in a snap. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a slowly developing courtship. It begins with shunning wisdom, a contempt for God, a contempt for His Word, which we learned when we studied Psalm 51. Remember? 
We studied Psalm 51. The context was David's adultery with uh, Bathsheba. And we are told that David's adultery with Bathsheba did not just happen. Well, it began with, it began with David's contempt for God and his word. So we read in 2 Samuel 11 to uh, 12, you remember, you recall, David despised the Lord. David despised the word of the Lord. And so adultery begins with a contempt for wisdom. Begins with a contempt for the Lord's instruction. And then it regresses. It goes down to being drawn by the appeal. That's why the Proverbs writer says, Her lips drip with honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Descends down to being drawn by the appeal and then to the pleasure that is derived from it. A pleasure that you and I know is short-lived. Which is why Whitney Houston would describe it as a few stolen moments. Remember that? From the song, Saving All My Love For You. It's a few stolen moments. And then it may be followed by regrets. So the Proverbs writer would say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. But yet, even after regrets, the slave goes back to his cruel master because he has already set his mind and affections to gratifying his own desires. So the slavery, the devotion that we get ourselves into is rarely a one-time dive into bondage. It is rather a gradual descent. It begins with flirtations, with friendships that descend into passion and then to worship. So I read this news uh, a few years ago. Addicted to porn at age 10. The boy, 10 years old, came home one day and saw his father watching a video through a partly open door. Curious, the primary four boy inched forward and saw, and saw naked people on the screen. Puzzled, he went back to his room and tried to search it or search for it on his own smartphone. It did not take long before he discovered pornography and became hooked. Every night before he slept, he would watch it secretly for half an hour. And by primary six, he was sharing video links and images with other boys in school. They would often gather in groups to view or discuss what they saw. The boy got bolder in secondary school. He engaged in cyber sex on online forums and chat rooms to experience another level of sexual fantasy and experience. He also downloaded many nude photos of women from porn websites on his smartphone. So slavery, devotion began in small steps at age 10. But by the time he is in secondary school, it has become a full-fledged enslavement. So friends, we are sinners, constantly looking for spiritual allegiances. We are worshipers. We want to be assigned to something or someone. 
We want to give devotion to someone or something. That is why, hashtag, addiction, me too. You know, whenever we think of addiction, we always tend to associate it to uh, drug addicts, or maybe alcoholics, or maybe smokers. But we are always slow to admit that we are like them when we look at how one descends into addiction. Like I said, it begins with flirtations, followed by passions met. And before we know it, we have been enslaved. And once we are enslaved, we would do anything to protect the master whom we are devoted to. So I read this confession of an alcoholic from a book written by Ed Welch. And he writes, After getting out of the army, I hardly drank at all, mostly because I couldn't afford alcohol all the time. Then I was given the kiss of death. I got a job with an expense account and business trips out of town, and on these trips, my old acquaintance with alcohol was quickly renewed. Soon there were times on the road when I would sit at the bar and skip dinner. And after all, after drinking quite a bit, you cannot taste anything. And receipts do not distinguish between alcohol and food. I didn't see any warning signs. I wasn't a sloppy, binge-drinking drunk, so it was easier for me to overlook the drinking. But I was drinking regularly. And how I got him from social events, I will never know. But I was 29 years old and feeling pretty indestructible. And by the time our first child was born, he was married, I was drinking before dinner. Just one. But I soon started filling it up to the rim. And then I used a bigger glass. And finally, I found the biggest glass in the house and never used ice. Because if you use ice, there's water displacement. But it was just one. And I also started hiding bottles, mostly in the basement. No one could ever figure why I spent so much time there in the basement. And when his wife asked about the bottle of scotch that she found in the basement hidden behind the books, Jim, that's him, you know what he did? He snapped back. Because one of the characteristics of addictions is that you will always protect your master. Jim snapped back and said, you see, that is the problem here. You are snooping around. Marriage is based on trust and you are violating that trust. Sounds familiar? I put that bottle there months ago. I don't even remember why now, but it doesn't matter. I cannot believe how you attack me. So that's the characteristic of addictions. You have flirtations, moving on to passions, enslavement, and then by hook or by crook, you will defend your master. Now, the reason why I read Jim's story is that his story can very well be a template for an addict's account. All you need to do is just substitute alcohol with whatever you are devoted to. And the behaviors and experiences, they all are roughly similar. For instance, 
the addict will always lie about his addiction. And when he is found out, when he is confronted, he will protect his master by getting angry. And he will play the you don't trust me card. Is this a familiar experience? Hashtag addiction me too. And this enslavement, friends, leads to death. The slavery disables the student, for instance, from his day-to-day responsibilities. Example, the student fails to show up in school. He falls asleep in class. He is disinterested. Why? Because he's sleepy from all-night gaming. I used to talk to a student in Guochuan. He would come to school sleepy because he's gaming all night. And then the drug, addict, the drug addict would ruin his relationship with others. He is cast away from home. His friends, they are all tired of his lives. See, the enslavement leads to death. The porn addict, he ruins the marriage. He no longer fulfills his marital duties. And the shopaholic, he or she gets into debts and is always distracted. He's always distracted from listening to the sermon. Why? Because he's checking out carousel. <laughs> is that you? Hashtag addiction, me too. But friends, praise God, there is hope. There is hope because we are created to give our hearts to be devoted to someone or something. And so instead of giving devotion to that which leads to destruction and death, we can give our devotion to that which leads to life. There is a good master whom we can give our devotion to. So Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 17 and following says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Paul writes and he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God has provided us a good master whom we can run to to save us from our slavery, to save us from our addictions that snuff out 
our lives. And so we can leave our old master and cling on to the new master. We can now present our bodies, our whole, as slaves to righteousness. This new slavery is unlike the old slavery. For we are told that the old slavery leads to death. But this new slavery, under the new and good master Jesus, it leads to? It leads to life. It leads to life. And how do we know so? Because Paul tells us, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now think about it. The addictions that the world offers us and lures us into, they do not promise the abundant life that Jesus offers. Far from it. Drugs promise you a painless moment, but not how to live victorious lives. Alcohol promise you laughter, but not how to deal with pain and disappointment the day after. Gaming promises you excitement, but boredom, distraction, and detachment off screen. That's what happens off screen. Porn. Pornography promises you disembodied sexual pleasure, but then after that, you get shame, especially if you've been found out. Shopping promises you, according to the movie, three weeks of material pleasure. Buy a new piece of cloth, oh, you loved it, three weeks. After that, so, three weeks of material pleasure, and then you need to shop again. In Christ Jesus, we find life under God's goodwill and purposes for material things, for instance. They are to meet our needs and others' needs and not to satisfy our wants. In Jesus, we find God's goodwill in sex. It is the beautiful pleasure in the holiness of a faithful marriage without guilt, without shame. In Jesus, we find enabling through the Spirit and through the church to go through the pains in life, which drugs do not give you or alcohol would not give you. While we await Jesus' return. In Jesus, we discover the beauty of offline, proximate, in-the-flesh relationships. And so we can play board games together without getting bored. That's a plug-in for family fellowship, uh, by the way. Now, it does not mean that old masters uh, aren't going to try to lure us back. They would. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See the characteristic of addiction there? But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming 
that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so, brothers, sisters, we are called to put off the old self and to always put on the new self. There is the lifelong putting on the new redeemed self created to be Christ-like. And the lifelong of always putting off greed, putting off sexual immorality, putting off idolatry. This is how we battle our addictions to the things of the world. And so how do we do this as a church? How do we do this as a church? Let me give you some practical points. Firstly, it begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So Proverbs 14, 27 tells us, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. See, the fear of the Lord is giving our devotion, our obedience to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is trusting that the pleasures that is found in obedience to the Lord is matchless to what the world offers. The fear of the Lord is constant awareness that the Lord sees and that the Lord hears everything that we do or we say. So question, if you're aware of the fear of the Lord, does it annoy you that God is all-present? Does it irk you that God sees everything that I do? Well, do not be. You know why? Because the Lord watches over you. That's what it means. The Lord keeps you. The Lord watches over your coming in and your going out forevermore. So it is actually good to know that the Lord sees us. He sees everything. And so the fear of the Lord is basking in knowing that His eyes are always on you. Fear of the Lord. Secondly, consider creating barriers, barriers that distance you from enticement. So, for example, spot places or determine situations that would lead you to temptation. Is it an idle mind? Is it idleness? What do you do? Turn it into moments of consecrated thoughts. So last Sunday, I mentioned about thinking the God thoughts. Do the Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 exercise. You remember that? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So it's to create a barrier on our mind to always think of the God things whenever your mind is idle. Are there websites that tempt you to always want to check out? Capitalize on embarrassment. You know, God gives us this sense of being embarrassed. Capitalize on it. Instead, 
Use your computers in full view of people. Instead, in the secret confines of your room. Why? Because it deters you from going into sites you probably would not were you alone. Make it a habit not to use your computer in the night when everybody is asleep. Why? Because there will be no one up to see what you are up to. And so create barriers to distance you from being enticed by the world's lusts and pleasures. And then lastly, pray for one another, beginning with ourselves. Examine, is there something that I am devoted to? How do you know that? Well, it occupies your thoughts. It uses up your energies. And although it may lead into bad outcomes, you still go back to it. That's your idol. That's your God, little God. That's what you worship. Surrender then, surrender it then to the Lord. Confess it to one another. See, friends, the beauty of the church is that we are somehow afforded a venue to live ourselves in public view of everybody. That's why we like to come to church, because we are accountable to one another. We live our lives in full view of the members of the body. That is why during service, when your seatmate is carouseling, tendency is he may not or she may not. Why? Because it's public view. And then celebrate Victories. What do I mean by that? Each time you said no to temptation, which would have led to addiction, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Thank God for His grace. Tell it to others. You know, we don't want to share with other people when we said yes to temptation. We're embarrassed by it. But the flip side is that if we said no to temptation, share it with people. There was one temptation that I encountered today, but I said no to it. Share it. Celebrate victories. Rave about it. So one of, the bro- one of our brothers from Basque wrote to the church and said that he praises God that this month he is celebrating his 49th month out of prison because he's been in and out of prison for drug abuse. 49 months. Who's counting? He is counting. And he wants us to celebrate his victory with him. So celebrate your victories whenever you said no to temptation. But then when you fall into sin, what must you do? Run to Jesus and find forgiveness. Run to Jesus immediately and find forgiveness in him. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 42 that he will confess his sin to the Lord. And the result was that God forgave him of his sin. Psalm 32, which was written by David. So you recall uh, his story, David and Bathsheba, when Nathan pointed out to him his sin, telling him, you are the man. David said, 
I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan did not return a week later and said, oh, by the way, God has forgiven you. No. Immediately after David said, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan replied, the Lord has forgiven you your sin. Run to Jesus when you fall into sin. Do not capitalize on your failure and be overwhelmed by it. Do not enter entertain thoughts like, it's hopeless. I would never change. No, don't do that. Do not justify your difficult situation, your difficult circumstance, or your plight to explain away why you said yes to temptation. So James chapter 1 tells us that the one who perseveres under trial, trial is blessed. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That is why when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and he is enticed. So when you and I fall into sin, do not be quick to say, oh, God, it's your fault. You brought me into this situation. God does not tempt anyone. But the good news is, when you and I fall into sin, you and I can run to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. Because while we await the Lord's return, our Christian lives are a series of repentances, series of repentances, but always moving forward towards sanctification. So pray for one another. Celebrate victories. Consider creating barriers. And always have the fear of the Lord. At this point, I'd like to invite one young man to share about how he struggled with addiction and how he overcame that struggle. Uh, hi, my name is Sinrik, and uh, I'm a youth leader in BASIC, uh, the, youth, the youth ministry of ARPC. Uh, so about a week ago, uh, Pastor Roger actually uh, approached me, and uh, he asked me, and I quote, he said, Hey bro, would you or any of the gamers uh, like to give a testimony about gaming addiction? Uh, and I remember the first thing I thought was, like, hey, what's that supposed to mean? Right? Because, I mean, among my friends and my family, um, and even my youth, uh, it's no secret that I like to play computer games. Uh, but if I were to give a testimony on gaming addiction, it means that I would have to admit that I was addicted to gaming in the first place. And, and like, what would the parents of my youth think about this? And, or even worse, what would my fiancé think about this? Yeah. Um, and I think the reason why there was this fear was because uh, addiction uh, is, a, is a very strong word. And gaming is uh, perceived by many, many parents uh, to be very negative. Uh, and, but, but why is this so? Because if you think about it, right, on its own, gaming is just like any other hobby. Right? In fact, there are certain benefits to gaming, such as like developing active problem-solving mindsets, you know, <laughs> hand-eye coordination, spatial perception, all these kind of good things, right? Yeah, but I think gaming uh, seems so different from any other hobbies 
because of this idea of perceived availability. So unlike outdoor sports or, or any uh, sports-related uh, hobbies, uh, gaming is usually done at home. And, and so parents would then expect their child uh, to be as responsive and as available um, when they're at home, even though they're playing a game, uh, which will then lead to a question that I think a lot of gamers are used to hearing. Like, uh, why cannot pause me? Why your game cannot pause, is it? Yeah, so I, I always hear that. All right. Yeah, but I mean, if you imagine your child playing a, a sport or a hobby, you don't really expect them to pause whatever they're doing and, and respond to you whenever. Yeah, so uh, the gaming always has such a bad rap because it always seems like the child is choosing to do something uh, rather than respond <clears throat> when actually he's just being engaged. So the question is, when does gaming as a hobby um, actually become an addiction? Uh, so for me, uh, it was when games became the only thing um, that I could think about. So when I was in school, I remember when I woke up, um, I would be thinking about when does school end so that I can play games. Uh, when I'm eating, I would think about how fast can I eat so that I can play games. Uh, even when I was showering, I'm thinking about how fast can I quickly shower so that I can play games. So. Um, it was constantly on my mind and it took over uh, every single thought. Yeah, so my life actually revolved around when I could play games and I would get very, very angry um, if there were interruptions to my planned schedule and, and I hated being told to stop. And, and I made sure that everyone around me knew that. Yeah, so it, it basically took priority over everything else, yeah, just like any other addiction. And, and just like how there is an overly negative perception of gaming, uh, gamers themselves tend to severely underestimate how serious uh, this matter is. And once it becomes addiction, they will say, oh, it's just a game, you know, I'm just playing computer and it's not very, that serious. Yeah, so actually, just like any other addiction, I think I needed to acknowledge that first it was a, it was a serious problem and that I needed to change. So, so what really broke, I guess, the, my reliance on excessive gaming? Uh, I guess simply put, my, my escapism into this world of games uh, gave rise to very, very real consequences in the real world. Uh, it started to hurt my relationships, and, and more importantly, it hurt, I guess, the basic responsibilities that I had in life. Like as a student, I wasn't doing well and things like that. Yeah, so that was when I realized I had to choose um, to invest my time um, either into the real world or into the virtual world. And, and it's a choice that I think anyone who is trapped in this world of gaming will have to make uh, for themselves. So looking back, I, I do see God's grace to me, um, seen in, the, I guess, the gentleness of my family uh, when they... Uh, in dealing with me in that stage of my life. Not say that they, they never nagged, so there was the nagging, there was the, uh, yeah, just constantly telling me to stop. Um, and, but like, my, my father would not scold me or anything, but he would come in and tell me like, news information, oh, some guy died because he played like 100 hours of gaming, you know? But he, he didn't really come in and like, accuse me or anything, right? He just told me, and, and I guess it showed that it was just out of care and out of concern. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they did not excessively scold me. They did not make the environment very hostile or they did not um, 
accused me. So I, I personally didn't feel like I needed to then escape into this war of gaming over and over again and again. Yeah. So uh, if I can offer, I guess, two very simple practical tips for parents uh, whose children you know, enjoy gaming a little bit too much, uh, the first tip is, I think, uh, what Arjun said is to uh, pray for your child because I think turning away from excessive gaming or any addiction actually uh, is, is not just a hard choice, but it's also a hard choice. And, and when it comes to the heart, I think only God can, can change it from the inside out. Yeah. And also when you pray for your child, uh, it changes the way you respond to your child, it changes the way you treat them, and it changes the way you react to them. Secondly, um, is to set timings, right? It, because it helps them schedule their gaming time better and, and it also empowers the child ultimately to make a choice. So for example, I, what do I mean by this is, um, imagine at the end of the day, you told him that uh, we're going to have family dinner at 7, right? So this child would then know that by 6.30, I'm not going to start a new game, right? Because uh, depending on how long his game lasts, right? And, um, and so if at 6.45 or at 6.50 you see um, your child, he's not playing a game anymore, he's just waiting, he's just lounging, waiting for something to happen, um, it, you, you know that he has made a choice. And, and that means that there is hope, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess perhaps at that moment, uh, if I was a parent, um, I, I guess he gets a hug. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I told Sinrik I'm going to give him a hug for sharing his testimony. Praise God for saving you from gaming addiction. So friends, the Lord Jesus can save us from the addictions that the world offers us. And because addiction is devotion, and we are created to be bound to a master, consider that Jesus is the good master whom we can give our devotions to. And so our hashtag should change. Instead of hashtag Addiction, me too, has to be hashtag addicted to Jesus, me too, because Jesus is worthy of our devotion and our worship. Let us pray. Father, instill in us the fear of the Lord because it leads to wisdom. It leads us to making the right choices to the glory of your name, that we will always say no to the addictions that the world offers to us, but instead be devoted to serving you and living for you, to the glory of your name and for the good of the people that we minister, people that we relate to. This is our prayer and enable us in Jesus' name. Amen.